This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The title of the book, Walking on Water, and the author, Autumn Carpentier, she joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Autumn. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? Great to have you with us. Now, this is your story. It's What would you call it, a memoir, more or less? Well, kind of. I would, I would, I would say it's more inspirational than anything. Okay. That's pretty much sure. what they've you know, put it under, classified it as. Well, you're... You're picking out some events in your life that were very, very challenging, and you wondered if you were going to make it through, and this book will make you cry, will make you laugh, and hopefully you will learn, I'm sure this is your heart's desire, you will learn, with God's help, you can get through anything. Yeah, that's pretty much always been my lifeline, and the reason I will actually tell the book Walking on Water was because of the, the biblical story about Peter and you know Jesus called out to him and he started walking across the water and, and the minute he started doubting he started sinking and you know it really is about our faith and and learning to just reach out to Jesus and just trust him and know that he's going to take care of us and pull us out of the, the depth of everything we're going through. So when did you know that you needed to write this book? How did that come about? You know, the funny thing is, it's, this book took eight years to get published. And um, there's a, it starts out the year that um, part of the story is that my son, I had to do a, a custody battle with his, his father, some things that had happened and stuff. And, and I'd always wanted to write the book and actually started it a couple of times. And somehow it never really flowed or I didn't know where to really start or end it and um, I sat down one night when I was going through all of this with him and knowing what he was going through and um, that, that's that's where the story begins and it's it was something that allowed me to let my feelings be released and to it, you know it's funny how when you write something down and you look at it it's different than when you're just thinking something and I just began there, and at that point, and then never turned back, and I wrote a little bit here and there, and stuff sometimes more than others. And then the past year, I dedicated everything just to, to getting the book edited and, and, and getting it published. So it's been, it's been a long journey to get it published. Well, your motto, you say, is make the best of the worst. I think everyone can yep. relate to it may not be the worst in the big scheme of things compared to a lot of other people, but when we're going through anything in life, it's the worst for us. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing is, um, I had a, one of my friends read the book and stuff, and she said to me, she goes, well, she goes, I'm, I'm disappointed. And I was like, you're disappointed? What, what did you not like? And she said, no, she goes, I did not know you as well as I thought at the time, and I did not realize you were going through all that. And the funny thing is, is that she was going through so many things at that time, and, and she has told me many, many times how I helped her get through that. And sometimes things we go through, you know, it's, things are going to happen to everybody. It's just a matter of what we do with it and how we deal with it and the outcome. We can either make it work for us and help us to learn something, 
or we're going to keep repeating it. I believe that, that God says, you know what, you haven't learned that lesson yet, so it's going to happen again until you do get it right. And um, I've, I've lived that as a testimony myself. But um, it's, it really is about the choices that you make and the consequences from those choices. So life really is a school. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yep, every day. Every day of every minute, I think. So every minute of every day. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you have to be open to believing in miracles. You have to be open to acknowledging that the things that happen along the way are for a purpose and that, um, you know, it's all in time. And I think the worst thing is that as, as humans, we tend to want everything in our time and when we you know, the way we want them, thinking that's what's best for us. And m- most times, that's not necessarily true. I, that, you know, God wants us to be in a certain place, and He is directing us in his, the things that happen in our lives. And usually, I've, I've always found that everything He wanted to give me has been much better than what I planned. But at that moment in time, we thought we knew best. We certainly uh, don't understand the total picture. We can only see what we're seeing. At that moment, we don't see like God sees, of course. Exactly. So, and he knows, he knows the end all and what he wants to, to get accomplished in the end with us. You know, we, we don't have a clue sometimes. However, you know, like writing this book, I felt very led to, to write the book. And there's a lot of things in the book that just fell into place, like scriptures and just a lot of things along the way that I felt it was truly a blessing and that this is something that, that I was meant to do. And, you know, a lot of times people don't listen to that little voice, and, and that little voice is important because it is what directs us, and, and it is God's voice talking to us, and if something doesn't feel right, then there's a reason, and if something does, then, you know, you move forward with it. But it, at the time, it's sometimes hard to move forward when you don't know the whole picture or you're struggling and, and you feel like you're about to just sink and, and there's no one there to reach out to you. But there is. And I can never understand why people who obviously are human, they're going through all these similar types of experiences, but they're determined to go it alone. They're not going to reach out to God. Is that, I don't even, there's a lot of words to call that. You know, we, we, we'll be nice. <laughs> There's, it's just so um, sad when people are just so determined they're going to do it on their own. You know, I, and I, I, I tell people this all the time, and I mean it sincerely. I, I do not know how people get through this life without without God. And there have been times when I've literally fallen to my knees and cried out, thinking, you know, kind of the in in the story, like when Jesus cries out to God, you know, why why have you forsaken me? And and that's not the case, but. You do feel that way sometimes, but the the thing is, is that it's going to pass. And for every tear that's fallen, you get stronger, and and you just you do have to keep going because there was a time in my life, many times actually, but one in particular. And again, it was during the custody battle and losing my kids and stuff, or not losing, and they went to live with their father. Long story, but um, I I was just bombarded with heartache and and I, I didn't really have anybody I didn't have a mother to talk to a father to talk to it and you know my brothers my brother my only brother left uh, lived out of town and and I didn't I felt like I would burden other people if I discussed my problems with them and the one thing I've learned is that it's okay to lean you know just because you lean on someone doesn't make you weak and just because you need someone doesn't make you weak so I think in this day and age people tend to think that you know if you show any signs of of weakness 
even though it's not, you know, emotion, then that makes you weak. And I, I think people need to understand that there is a lifeline there, and, and God's the first one, and then he has many people around him that, that will help you too. And so, you know, there, if, you, if you feel like you just can't go on, you just got to go on, even if it's one minute at a time. You just got to keep, keep on going, keep on going. Well, you mentioned your one living brother. You have two brothers that died along the way. Uh, how old were they, and mm-hmm. what happened, and what what kind of an impact did it have on you? Well, um, thank you for asking. I actually, my first brother, um, he was 12, and he had cancer, and it was a very pretty quick um, process for us, and, and really probably one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. My mother kind of withdrew from the world, and, you know, at the time I had two other brothers, and I was trying to take care of them, and my father, they had divorced some time ago, and, and, uh, you know, the more I reached out to him, I realized he wasn't going to be there either, and so, um, and then we, we had an abusive stepfather, and throughout that whole process, I would say that it really did teach me some of the things that I didn't want in life and I think it's just as important to know what you don't want in life as as what you do want in life because it's easy to live with the things that you want and you get but it's not so easy to live with things that you don't want and you get so um, that, that time that period of time taught me a lot of stuff about myself and about what I didn't want and then um, my second brother he was the middle brother um, he was actually murdered, and he has he had three sons, and uh, his wife and her boyfriend or whatever you want to call him actually plotted to to kill him. And the the story part of that story is in the book, and it unfolds how she called me acting like she hadn't seen him or anything, and you know, and then we had to begin the search, and it, that that really I don't that that death probably was one of the worst things I've ever gone through because we had to sit through a trial and hear details and I actually broke down at one point and thought you know I how do I do this how do I sit here and be strong enough to sit here and and be here for my mother and listen to this and once again it it was it was the grace of God and, and the strength that he gave me because I could not there's no way I could or anybody can go through anything like that as far as I'm concerned without God well, the words come to mind, despair, emptiness, unbearable sorrow that people go through, that you've gone through, but you chose God to help you through it, your faith in God, and even though there's heartbreak, God can heal and give us strength and we can learn. Yes, and I think the neatest part about life is that there's always I do believe there's always a reason for things happening and again it's what you you make of the things that happen in your life and the choices and you know you're not always going to make good choices and you're not always going to get things right the first time but I think the trick is to to try to learn from the things that happen and be be open-minded to miracles and and the goodness around us and the people that are in our lives because there are people in our lives for a reason some may stay some may go others come and go but they're there for a reason, and and, and um, it's good. I know when I was working, uh, people were always saying, "Oh, she she's so happy, she's always smiling, and everything." And I, you know, I put up a front like everybody else, or some people, and and you know, you just keep on going, keep on going. But when you go home, that mask comes off, 
and you have to deal with yourself and, and the emotions that you feel. And once again, it was just the strength of God and, and His mercy that just helped me, that lifted me up and, and just gave me the strength to keep going. And, and little by little, you get better. And, you know, there are times you don't even understand why something will hit you and, you know, and or you'll smell something or something will happen and, and it brings everything right back. And it's a state in my book that my, most of my battles are still far within. You know, those are the things that I've had to overcome. And no matter how much you move forward, that there's always that little bit of something there that, that holds on to you. And I think that's the biggest thing that we have to, to remember in life is that even though that's still there, it doesn't make it really true, like, you know, insecurities or being alone or anything. And that, that again, that'll pass too. And you just have to be open to moving forward and, and, um, and just making the best, making the best of everything. So God said to you, hang on, this too shall pass, and you held on. And you also even saw God smiling, maybe even laughing at times. Well, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that uh, I've, I've often talked to God as if he's sitting right next to me. And I, I, I enjoy my relationship with God. And I do, I do think he has a sense of humor, and, and people laugh whenever... My sister-in-law said to me, you know, I never understood what that meant until right now. And I, I asked her, so right now that it took this, you know, because I'm always saying that. And um, I do think that he's, it's not just about, I think people think Christianity is all, you know, go to church every Sunday and you live your life in, in just the right way and do the, just the right things. And um, But really the, the journey with Jesus is, and it, it is the fact that it's, it is, a journey and he is a partner he 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 wants to be there for us and 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 listen to us and and for us to go to him and so i i enjoy my relationship with with him and it means the world to me and i, I again i can't imagine somebody not having that and there are other experiences that you share in your journey in your book walking on water we don't have time to go into those right now but it is important to know everyone that Autumn's life has been filled with many, many challenges, and here she is even able to talk about it and to hopefully help others who are going through the same. Autumn, what's the best way to get your book, Walking on Water? You can go online to my website, which is www.autumncarpentier.com. Dot com. Uh, you can also find it on uh, pretty much any bookstore, no, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Author House Publications. And just it, it's, it's out there where, you know, if you just want to go to whichever site you use, it's, kind, it's a Kindle version. So they've made it pretty easy to access. Thank you so much, Autumn, for joining us on Author Talk. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. 
Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Key West Interlude, and the author, Lois Richmond, joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Lois. Good morning. How are you? Great to have you with us, Lois. Key West Interlude, it's part of what you call Paulette Marshall Mystery Series. So there's other books that have been written or are being written in this series. Uh, we won't talk about that right now. Let's get right into kind of an overview of Key West Interlude, because this is a, folks, this is a thrilling, fast-paced murder mystery, but it's got an interesting twist about women facing the unexpected we're not just talking about murder here we're just talking about good old hard i guess hard unexpected events in a woman's life right that's correct and what happens where um paulette comes about is that she uh and her husband started out in college and both of them got through school and he became a doctor and she became a psychologist and uh, they have a happy marriage and were very successful, and they have a big house up on Mulholland Drive in Bel Air, California. So she goes to the club with him, and they, you know, they do all the activities that the, their spoils, uh, have their, their hard work has brought to them. And one day he comes home unexpectedly she has had uh, at school one of those traumatic days she works at a gang school and somebody has been stabbed in the back and she calls her husband who's in surgery and says oh honey i can't wait to see you tonight oh i just need to sit and calm and we'll have a nice glass of wine and we'll have some dinner and but that's all i'm up for i just need a hug and he's, uh, 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 you know, he's kind of hesitating. So he gets there and he rings the front door. And of course, she's not. What? What is this all about? She asks him. And uh, when they settle in, he wants a divorce. And he not only wants a divorce, he wants to marry the girl who already has two other children by other boyfriends or husbands. And he wants to raise one of their own. And it's a nurse who's 24 years old in his office. Now they're only in their early 40s, so this is, you know, a big jump. And she says, um, I guess she's pregnant. And he says, Well, how do you know? Because we're the only two, blah, blah, blah. And she says, Well, I'm just thinking about it and how ordinary to pick someone in your life, trying to begin to dig and have him feel guilt. And then she steps back and she realizes she doesn't know where the checkbooks are. She knows what their social life is but it's all connected to other people, and what is she going to do? Well, she goes to court, and she wins the house, which doesn't always happen. Uh, California, as well as other states, have, have an unwritten law known as the best-use law. So he should have won the house, but the, it was an old curmudgeon of a judge, and he gave her the house. 
So she's walking through the house, and she thought, you know what? I am not going to do this. I am going to change my life. I am going to pick up and have an adventure. So she leaves for Key West, and that's basically where the story starts. So in Key West, which, of course, the title of the book is Key West Interlude, there she meets some very interesting people. You have a lot of characters in your book. I certainly do. <laughs> and they're all very unique. They're all very unique. They oh. really are. Um, I'm, I'm such a study of, of human nature. I still, unfortunately, stare at people. And I see that while mannerisms change somewhat with the difference in the generations, that everybody essentially wants the same thing. They want happiness. They want love. They want to get married. They want all of these other wonderful things that uh, in the 50s they used to call the picket fence in my mother's day. And um, as I, I started, uh, I was a teacher there at Key West High School for a year. Actually, I went to do my Ernest Hemway, Hemingway thing. You know, he had a big house down there. And I wanted to write a book, and I was working on Palm Beach Interlude, which is the next book. Anyway, the school district called me and said, you know, could you take over this class? This girl had been sick, and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, you know, it's, I'll get to know the people of the town. So it was a real blessing. And what came out of that is basically the book is about three different women. Of course, it's Paulette's uh, travels and how she goes through and deals with breaking away from her husband and then getting into the so-called underground of Key West. It's her friend Kathleen, who's shortly in the book, um, and she has remarried and has her feet on the ground, but she's married to a narcissist, and that's like that ends up being a separate story. But the character towards the end is Ariel. She's the one that's only 18 years old, and she has two major decisions to make in her life. And uh, I guess I'm speaking not only to women who are going through this who are older, but the younger women, to say, know your options, but not only that, when you have these choices to make, if you decide to marry someone, always as wonderful and terrific as he can be, always have a bank account of your own. Always have a single friend, always have somebody quote-unquote on the outside of the married life so that you have uh, a different point of view during some of this uh, life of um, being married because being married uh, is a, a wonderful thing, but it, it surrounds you and your family, so there's not that many people on the outside to give you that kind of advice. And Paulette does not come right out and say it, but I, you go through her pain and her problems, and what you see at the end is, gosh, you know, here's a happy couple, or she thought a happy couple. Now does Paulette know where the money is? She's gotten a nice big house. How is she going to support that house? People don't ask that question. Where is the bank account? Did he write a will? Um, does he have a trust if he's got enough money? Who's going to get the car? You know, how are we going to pay for the college educations? Those are the questions that women should start asking and planning for long, long, long before a divorce happens. And then if a divorce doesn't happen, take him on a cruise. <laughs> well, before we get into the details of the murders, uh, there's a couple of them in the book, and we'll be talking about the murder of Captain Maxwell. Or was it a murder, I guess, is the big question. Tell us a little bit about you. You have such, such a interesting background, and 
Uh, we're uh, right there in Hollywood <laughs> for a lot of years. Okay. Well, um, uh, I married a man from Miami. I graduated from Lake Worth High School, and I, uh, like I said to you, I, I said to my mother, I'm never coming back to Florida. It's so boring. But um, <laughs> anyway, I ended up in Miami meeting a wonderful man, and we had two children very quickly, which weren't planned, but very wonderful children. And I said to him one day, watching the Academy Awards, I said, you know, that's where I'm supposed to be, and that's where we're going. And this lovely man picked up his business and said, well, I can work on the West Coast or the East Coast. He had a heavy manufacturing uh, business, and off we went. And I started out right away before I got to college even and uh, became a West Coast editor and a columnist for the Marvel Magazine uh, company. And they had a handful, maybe six movie magazines out. And I wrote columns and assigned stories and so on. (laughs) And one guy looked at me at one of the lunches we went to and he said, aren't you awfully young? I said, I'm 22. (laughs) (laughs) But I had been reading movie magazines and reading you know that I wanted to get out there not to be an actress but to be a writer to write about people and and get in-depth interviews which is nearly impossible because we seem to know everything about actors and in those days they were protected and I had two fabulous people one at 20th Century Fox who was a retiring lady and she was at twi- uh, her name was Sonia Wolfson and the other one was Freda Dudley Balling and she was myself substitute mother out there so if i had a problem with an interview of anybody uh they would pick up the phone now i thought my life would always be like that (laughs) but that's not true um it it, uh, the field changed once the field changed into salacious material and so on and so forth it was it was time to move on and uh i decided that i hadn't had my education so I went back to school and started from class one until I finished, and I became a teacher, and I got my master's, and I, I'm a reading teacher, an ESOL teacher, and I did that for many years, and taking my summers to write books and, and so on. Fascinating life you've lived, which has really kind of prepared you to be a writer than what, what you're doing right now, and I'm sure we're going to hear more from you Let's talk about, you've already mentioned Ariel, this young lady, and she's got, uh, I guess she is connected to this Captain Maxwell Hernandez. He's got a huge fortune, and she ends up with some of it, huh? Yes, she sure does. Um, uh, Ariel has has a functioning alcoholic mother who is a nurse, but she depends on Maxwell and his family for her uh, emotional life, for caring about her, for being there for birthdays and holidays and school events. So now she's 18 and she gets pregnant and she's deciding should she get an abortion or not. And uh, uh, so she goes on a trip with him uh, to only discover that this is how he's made his money. At night he hauls drugs up to Isla Mirada which end up in Miami, get chopped up, and then put on the street. And uh, so anyway, she gets afraid in the middle of the night, and she calls up Jose, her friend, and says, I've got, you know, I've got to get out of here. So he picks her up, 
and I won't go into all of that part, but basically she is caught in the middle because she's known this man all her life, and what is she going to do about this? So she's a good Catholic, and she does not want to uh, break the vows that she feels she takes as being honest and and straightforward and going to have a good life without uh, doing some of the things other people might do. So she, he had given her an envelope that had $30,000 in it, but she had refused to take it because uh, he put some conditions on there which uh, you know, when you read the book uh, you'll understand. Anyway, so she uh, leaves the hotel and she says, well, I know the combination to his safe. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to take the, the money of the envelope he gave me and I'm going to take Jose and we're just going to have a good time in Miami and then I don't know what I'll do with the rest of it. So we fast forward uh, to her, the choices that she has to make and she goes to Paulette who is her counselor and says, you know, what she's done. And he says, and Paulette says, well, you must go to the police and be honest. Uh, I doubt seriously they'll do much um, to you, but if you return the rest of the money, I'm sure that they will um, uh, take that into consideration. So anyway, then we flash back to what happens to, um, to cap- the captain while she's gone. Maxwell Hernandez, um, people ask me, you know, how did you come up with this character, this particular character? Well, uh, when I was in Key West, it's not a big deal for uh, commercial fishermen to go out into the ocean, say if it's a full moon, and just be there with themselves, have a couple of beers, and sit around with a couple of friends and come home. So it was not unusual for Maxwell to take off and take the drugs to Isla Morada. Nobody would notice it because he works all day, of course, as a commercial fisherman. He's a third-generation conch, and he runs a for-hire service that uh, has only one remaining boat called the Rambling Rose. But in the meantime, he's been putting his money away in the boat and in the banks, and he's forgotten where some of that money is. Uh, so he offers... Paul, uh, he offers um, Ariel this this money, and uh, she refuses, and he puts it back in the box. Okay, so when he leaves and he starts to come back, he has pain in the heart, and so he's he's looking for his medication, and he can't find it, and he starts throwing up all over the place. And the boys, the two boys that are coming back with him, who have have been involved in this uh, transfer of drugs say, well, I don't know what to do with the guy, you know, and uh, can you steer the boat, and blah, 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 and they're trying to figure out what to do, and they throw him overboard. The key is in Maxwell's pocket, so they can't start the boat again, and they are drifting, and they're drifting, and it's becoming daylight, and they're drifting towards Bahia, Bahia Honda, which is right outside of Key West, and that's where they're brought in for the murder of Maxwell. And uh, we go through that later on because Ariel's involved, her fingerprints are everywhere, and we have a sharp investigator who uh, will make, uh, eventually they'll make the decision as to how Maxwell actually died. We've been talking to author Lois Richmond. Her book, Key West Interlude, part of her Paulette Marshall mystery series. Lois, what's the best way to get your book? You can get my book through Author House. You can get it at Amazon.com. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. 
We want and to f- if people don't have that information, they can go to my website, which is www.loisrichmond.com. LoisRichmond.com. Well, thank you, Lois, mm-hmm. for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Welcome to Author Voices on Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book is the outcome of many years of dedicated service to the photographic industry, and one area in particular, the wedding sector. We all love a wedding. Some of the stories in the book will tease in mind, some going back many years, some only a few. The names, of course, have been changed to protect the guilty but the stories have not. This book is of a vivid collection of some of the strange and often bizarre things that have happened over the years. Some believable and some very hard to swallow, but nonetheless true. There are a few fascinating facts thrown in along the way to interest and amuse you. Also information about matrimony that you probably didn't know, featuring various traditions and cultures from around the world. 2,000 Weddings But No Funerals is co-written by Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West, who are both joining me today. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Now, first of all, I believe that Benjamin J. West is the pen name of Colin Haworth. Tell us how that came to be. And also, let's start by asking a little of the history behind your friendship, behind your partnership, and how that came into writing this book. Well, Les Stubbs here. I'm the photographer. Um, uh, Benjamin J. West is beside me, or Colin Howarth, as, as he's, he's, Benjamin J. West is his pseudonym for writing. Um, we are actually uh, blood-related, and we're distant rel- relatives, and we only actually met around about 20 years ago. Um, the the, uh, the stories in the book are, are a lifetime of taking photographs and sharing experiences and laughs with other wedding professionals. My first wedding was covered in 1971, and the nervous Les stood in front of over 100 guests on the first wedding. And uh, all these notes have been in the back of my head and written down. And of course, when Colin encouraged me to write the book, this is how it came about, but we are actually relations, but only known each other for 20 years, if that answers. Now, you mentioned there how 
you worked on this book as a partnership. Uh, you've also mentioned that your particular expertise is in photography. I believe that Benjamin has actual experience, has a lot of experience uh, in writing. Tell us a little more about that side of things. I'll pass you over to Colin. Hi. Hi, well, Colin. I, this was the third book that I had written. Um, the previous books were The Eight of Spades Alone for Themselves, which is the first part of the trilogy. The second part, which is The Eight of Spades, The End is Just the Beginning, is nearing completion. And the third part will just roll on and follow that. I've also written a book called Weird and Wonderful Yarns, which is by a writer called Mr. Whitehead, which again is me. Um, why I have two names, I'm not quite sure myself. So, um, And Les had been going on at me for quite a while about he had lots of stories to tell. We should get together and write a book. And then eventually, that's exactly what we did. Now, I mentioned during the introduction that Everybody loves a wedding, and, and photographs in themselves are, I think, apart from video, photographs are the one lasting memory that people have of that special day, whether it's their special day or a family member, a friend or so on. What do you think will appeal to the reader of this book um, about the photographs and about the stories? What's the one magical thing that makes this book work for the reader? Well, this is Les again. Um, this book actually will appeal to absolutely everyone who has been married, been a wedding guest, or just experienced one of life's bloopers. When we say whoops, because these things literally do happen on a wedding. And, and some very sad things as well, actually, you know, um, which if you read the book, you will see. And all experiences in the book are absolutely true. As, as we said in the beginning, we've just uh, changed the names to protect the guilty. It's often said that every book has a story to tell. Every book has a lesson and something to teach the reader. With that in mind, yeah. what's the one thing that you would like the reader to learn or take away from reading this book? Well, it's obviously with different traditions around the world is how different cultures and traditions are so that they can compare themselves with little humour thrown in along the way to interest and amuse the reader. They will also be able to compare their own experiences. Um, it's interesting for people, you quite often, it's actually researching the book, how different um, even the colour of wedding dresses or where confetti came from things like this. The, the, it's rounded off now is, is the wedding experience. And, it, and it really, all these cultures that have combined together, the fused together into one and, and we're borrowing from other cultures as well. Um, so you can take away um, from it, as I say, what, what, uh, what say in the Far East, what traditions they have. And, and the simple fact like a, a wedding dress in the Far East is red because that's a lucky colour. Uh, in some Eastern European com countries, the wedding dresses are black. So it's, so it is uh, very, uh, yeah. So it's very true what you say that although you know all these cultures have their own different ideas and different traditions, but 
There are also many similarities that have been, I guess you could say, borrowed from various cultures. Um, what would you say is the, the one thing that you think is universal um, in most cultures when it comes to weddings? Probably, probably the, the wedding ring is probably one of the uh, the, the biggest combining things. I think the, the wedding ring being that, that that continuous unbroken circle um, is is one tradition. I think that most most cultures do use the ring or some sort some sort of symbol of the the everlasting, if you, if you like, you take your partner, your wife, or your husband for life. And, and that's the everlasting thing, and I, and I think that is that is true about being the, the, the marriage itself. Now we mentioned at the start of the interview how the book contains many stories, some sad, some humorous, certainly very interesting stories. Now, without giving too much away, give us a little taste of some of, keep it lighthearted, some of the humorous things that you write about in the book. Yeah, I'll give you one instance. It was a, a, a wedding photographer that is a, is a very good friend of mine. He's, he's, I'm, I'm, I've got 45 years of experience. Um, and Kevin, my friend, has, has been about around about 30 years. And we have a tradition in this country quite a lot now of going to, going to the bride's home um, to capture them getting ready before they actually leave for the church or for the civil, for the civil ceremony. And in this particular instance, um, Granny wanted to be in the, on, on the act, um, and all the bags, and everybody, the hustle and bustle of the house. Um, there's, there's things, when you go to the house, there's things everywhere, and it's quite amusing sometimes, because as a photographer, it seems as though you've thought part of it, and you quite often get a, a bridesmaid that will run through the room in her scanties in the underwear, thinking, oh, he's only the photographer. And on this particular instance, um, the bride's mother was looking all over for a hat. So Granny's in the corner of the, of the sofa. On, she's on a, uh, on a second sherry at this point, and uh, they couldn't find it anywhere. The car arrives to take the bridesmaids, and of course the bride's mother, and she was really upset because she said she'd spent a lot of money on line buying this hat. And uh, when, the, when eventually Gran got up, the hat had been on the seat and squashed underneath her. So this was uh, this was one of the bloopers, and of course, Mum never went to the, uh, never got to wear a hat for the wedding. So, but <laughs> actual experiences like that are funny to us, but probably not to the bride's mum at the time. Well, it is said that uh, you know getting married and weddings, not just for the bride and groom, for but for immediate family and so on, are one of the most stressful uh, experiences that anyone can go through, but. One of the magical things I think happens is that even when you get something like that happening, the memories that it brings to, you know, those that were around, those that happened to, I, I think you always look back on things like that with a smile. And, you know, memories can be sad, they can be um, difficult, but they're memories none, nonetheless. Now, moving on to the type of book it is, um, now it's... it's not just a book about photography, it's a book about memories, it's a book about the things that have occurred um, to all those yeah. people involved in the wedding and yourselves as yourself as photographer. But 
What would you say is the one thing that sets this book apart from the crowd? What what makes it different? Well, the, the marriage itself, you think? Or the, the, the wedding well, the, experience? The, the, the book in itself. What what makes it stand out amongst other books? What makes it different? What makes it, what makes the difference? Um, the, the, the book, I've never seen a book like it. And um, I mean, we, we, we did look into this, and there's nothing on our shelves in this country anyway that, that comes anywhere near it. And people that have bought the book and said that, you know, this is brilliant. We've, we've always wanted to read something on this land. And something that, that is, is, we've got quotes from the famous about how, how they're in and out of their, their, their marriages and their proper quotations. And as I say, the culture and, and the, the, the simple things that people do on weddings, like um, in, in England and possibly the British Isles, we used to have quite often uh, the Achilles League turn up. And there's, there's a particular reason that uh, they, they, they were actually seen as a normally good look. But that's in the book as well. And, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll not give that away. You get the book and you'll find that out. But this is a this is an experience as as, a, as we said earlier that uh, everybody has been a guest or involved in a wedding of some form, whether it's good or bad. It might be you know it might be a nasty experience for them because they may be divorced now, but uh, it's still an experience. And if that if that answers that question, now you pointed out that you you hit the point there about um, things being good luck, bad luck, and so on. How important do you think superstition and tradition is to the bride and groom and to those immediately around them in, in the wedding experience? They, they are, and, and a lot of people are breaking away. There are a lot of civil ceremonies nowadays, but they still want to do the traditional things. Um, they still want to get married, they still want to exchange the vows, they still want to wear the wedding rings, and they still want to do everything the same. So they maybe think they're actually breaking away, but the tradition is still there. Now let's move on to talk about the writing of the book itself and the challenges and the rewards that each of you faced when you were researching and when you were writing this book. Tell us a little more about that side of things. Okay, this, this is Les again. Um, the photographer. Um, I started um, w we basically putting notes down. Um, and speaking to Colin, obviously we were always together. Um, I would send, I would email certain sections over to Colin, and uh, then he would he would put his. As I'm, I'm not a, a a doctor of English or anything, so Colin would then put his touches to it. So it actually worked very well, and we didn't find that many problems to it, to be fair. But if I pass it over to Colin. Hi, this is Colin. Um, yeah, basically what was happening was that um, Les was writing the stories down as just as notes or like a diary, and then he would send them to me, and then I would make uh, something of it and send it back to him for approval. And we just kept backwards and forwards until we came up with the final stories. Uh, my hardest part of it was uh, fitting it in with everything else that I had on the go at the time, um, because we actually started the book about a year after we wanted to, 
um, before we could both find time to fit in, in with each other. Um, but eventually we got there, and this is the end result. Few days again, yeah. yeah. Apart from, apart from uh, my wedding photography, my main bulk of my work is actually industrial, commercial, and news photography and everything. So this, again, was um, was quite often I'd be driving around and ideas would come into my head, you know, for the book, and I might often, quite often pull into the roadside and actually jot something down. So this, we were both very, very busy at the time, but uh, it, it worked. How did you manage yeah. things to to get the finished book? I mean, obviously it had a start, a middle, and an end. So how did you yeah. agree on the content of the book and on managing the book and eventually um, producing the finished article? We actually split the book into sections of, of actual experiences, whether, whether they were men, um, colleagues, video, videographers. We actually got some some snippets from vicars, from registrars, from car drivers. So that was one section. The the second section we we decided to to split up, and it was quotes and quotations from famous. And the third one was was the traditions that we follow. So we we did that. But the book took form. We wanted it to be a, a coffee table format where people could literally pick the book up open it and find something of interest. So we, we decided to put the experiences and mix them around. So there wasn't any particular start or end to the book, uh, but the experiences were interspersed with the, the, uh, the quotations from the famous and traditions. So it was a little bit easier to write because, as I said, that there was no particular beginning, middle or end to it. Now, on a light-hearted note, for the reader of the book, do you think that reading this book will encourage people to get married, not make any difference, or even discourage some people? Yeah, I, I think there'll probably, um, in, in, in an expression we use, watch their P's and Q's, um, I think they, they might take from it the, some of the experiences and think that won't happen to us because I'll be prepared for it. But also, it might introduce some of those uh, traditions that we never thought about and think that that might be nice to include in our wedding. But, uh, yeah, on a, on a funny side, I think it's it's good preparation and good foundations for not, not making those bloopers and the, the oops on the wedding. And it could, as you mentioned, about introducing new traditions, you could start a whole lot of new trends in weddings, um, not only here, but around the world. Yes, absolutely, because this book is actually sharing traditions that that are across the world that probably people never knew about. Um, things that happen uh, here over in England, and, uh, you know, and, and people might think, I, I like what happens in Vietnam. I like, I love that tradition, and maybe we, we might have a little bit of uh, the Vietnamese, Vietnamese experience or even maybe American, you know. But anything goes on weddings now. I mean, we get some funny themed weddings where people will come in fancy dress and all sorts now. And as we said before, weddings are full of wonderful and certainly interesting experiences. Moving forward, what's next for you both um, as writers? 
Do you have anything planned, anything up your sleeve that you can tell us about? Well, I'll, I'll pass you over to Colin for that, sir. Well, I've, I've got the second part of the Eight of Spades trilogy. As I say, that is nearing completion at the moment. I've done all the groundwork for the third piece. And also, when it comes to the short stories by Mr. Whitehead, I have got another two books worth already written. Um, it's not got to the publishing stage yet because it, at the moment it's just gathering dust. But um, I've also got um, other books that I've done the groundwork for that I just, when I find time, I'll get round to it if I ever do. In closing, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that we haven't covered so far that you feel is important for our listeners and for your readers to know about your book? Well, perhaps um, some people reading the book might realise that they thought there was something special or a little bit strange in their wedding habits. They might find that by reading the book that they're just a normal person. One final thing. On that note, would you say that when it comes to weddings and when it comes to getting things right and having less stress and less things go wrong, would you say that simple is best? I think simple is best. Um, with weddings nowadays, uh, it, certainly in England and uh, the UK, um, I think a lot of young couples are getting into it very, very deeply financially um, and I think it needs to go back to the simple times. Thank you, gentlemen. 2,000 Weddings yeah. But No Funerals, written by Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West, is published by Author House and is available from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good bookstockers. Once again, many thanks to the writers and photographer Les Stubbs and Benjamin J. West for joining me. This is Rick Bell for Targonet Radio. Thank you for listening.